0: Hello and welcome to the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. I'm Ryan Dwight chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. This podcast series of short, digestible episodes is intended for patients and families and covers topics related to respiratory health and disease. My colleagues and I will be interviewing experts about timely and timeless topics in the areas of pulmonary, critical illness, sleep, infectious disease, and related disciplines. We will share with you information that will help you take better care of yourself and your loved ones. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. I'm Umar Hatipoglu. I am the Enterprise Medical Director for Respiratory Therapy at the Cleveland Clinic and Professor of Medicine at Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. I'm going to host this podcast on pulmonary rehabilitation, and I am delighted to have Dr. Debasis Sahu with me. Dr. Sahu is the Director of Pulmonary Services and Pulmonary Rehabilitation at Marymount and South Point Hospital, and also leads the enterprise effort for integrating pulmonary rehabilitation. Welcome, Debasis.
1: Thank you, Dr. Hedipoglu, for having me here.
0: Debasis, it's my pleasure. So you and I are both believers in pulmonary rehabilitation, and we've seen the wonders uh, that they can do, the intervention can do for patients but I want to just delve into a, this a little bit deeper with you for our patients, so they understand how important this is, what it entails, and how they can, you know, ask for this intervention if they needed it. So let's start with that simple question: What is pulmonary rehabilitation, and what are the necessary components of a pulmonary rehabilitation program? So,
1: pulmonary rehabilitation is a comprehensive intervention okay, after patient assessment, a patient-tailored regime, not only limited to exercise, but also includes psychosocial assessments, behavioral changes, behavioral modifications to help improve chronic respiratory distress. Now, the components of this, like I said, the core component is always going to be exercise training but it is not limited to it now when you talk about exercise training we we talk about endurance exercise training which normally is walking on a treadmill or a walk bicycle a recumbent bicycle you talk of interval training where we we increase high intensity intervals to help with muscle strength resistance training flexibility training Breathing exercises, but also other stuff like which include psychosocial assessment. Most of the patients with chronic respiratory diseases have some sort of an anxiety or depression. We assess and have psychologist and behavioral modifications that help. We assess nutrition. Most of these patients can be in extremes, you know. They can be malnourished or they can be overweight and we educate about how to eat, what to eat and it entails a large amount of education in terms of chronic respiratory diseases. This can be medication usage, medication adherence, oxygen, nebulization, airway clearance techniques, etc. Even to the extent we also help talk about end-of-life goals of care
0: in these educational details. Yeah, that's great. I always feel bad because we load so much on patients in the brief clinic visits that they have with us. Mm -hmm. And I have heard many patients tell me, hey, you know, I really learned how to use my inhaler in the pulmonary rehabilitation program, how to breathe, how to use my diaphragm in the pulmonary rehabilitation program. So this is hard to overemphasize. So we know that pulmonary rehabilitation is for patients with lung disease, but is it appropriate for everyone? Can you be too ill or can you have the wrong disease? Give us an idea about that landscape. So
1: I I don't think there is any absolute contraindication in terms of respiratory illness that you have too much of oxygen use, and you cannot come and do the program. I think there are some acute diseases that you may be having and you should not do it like if you have acute heart failure or you recently had an MI or you have symptomatic angina or um, heart valve diseases that, that will restrict you. But if you can follow instructions and you can exercise, then I think everybody is entitled to pulmonary rehabilitation who have chronic respiratory diseases.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one important thing is, I guess, the supervision, right? People worry that something will happen to them while they exercise. And you're working with these, you know, professionals around you who will catch you if you fall, right? Yes. So this is this is
1: a good question. So when we do pulmonary rehabilitation, actually there are guidelines set by organizations that maintain patient to provider ratio. For every four patients, we actually have one provider which could be either respiratory therapist, exercise physiologist and LPN, which supervise the, their patients during the program. If you actually have a high-fall risk patient, this actually further changes from one to two ratio. To ensure when the patient is actually Mm. doing physical activity and high, the provider stands besides the patient Mm. during the exercise
0: to ensure there is no injury to the patient. That's fantastic. I also heard that when you're in the hospital because of a worsening of your respiratory illness, pulmonary rehabilitation started early can help. Can you give us a little bit more insight into that? Yes. So when we look.
1: At the old data, most of the times patients used to wait to get a little bit better before they were referred to the pulmonary. The new data actually suggests that people can undergo pulmonary rehabilitations inside the hospital before they are discharged and that neither altered the outcome or the increased the length of stay, in fact helped hasten quicker recovery in these patients who had exacerbations of COPD and who enrolled early in pulmonary rehabilitation.
0: That's fantastic to know. You know, we order pulmonary rehabilitation. I remember we had done a study with one of our fellows in the past. Some 13% of the patients who had pulmonary rehabilitation ordered actually ended up completing pulmonary rehabilitation. So there's so many barriers to you know, access barriers, and then, you know, financial barriers, transportation barriers. How do we make this more accessible for our patients? What, what are we doing as an institution, for instance? So, we are trying to grow something called as
1: tele-rehabilitation. Tele-rehabilitation is a service when patients at home will undergo a structured pulmonary rehabilitations. In these structures, there will be a person monitoring you during your exercise. There are programs that have provided ergo, arm cycle ergometers, recumbent bikes, and portable oxygen and heart rate monitors which are teletransmitted and can be used during the home exercise rehabilitations. This model has, there is no clinical practice guideline model there are various models now available but this is something that the future is looking into as term of an as term of an institution we are working a lot like in terms of finance we know that there is a significant co-pay in patients who have medicare and are are asked to enroll in pulmonary rehabilitation we have sat down and with finance and most of the times we actually waiver off the copay in patients who come for pulmonary rehabilitation to us by sending for financial support. In terms of transportation, that tends to be a big issue. We have taken steps small in the hospital that we, uh, I were where I am the medical director in Marymount and South Point. We have actually worked with the transportation in a radius of three to five miles. If anybody doesn't have transportation, we do send the bus to pick them up and drop them back for pulmonary rehabilitation.
0: This is also an institute-based approach that we have done. That is fantastic. So the other, you know, question I get is, you know, when I approach a patient for pulmonary rehabilitation, they say, you know, they want to do it on their own. They have machines at home or treadmill or something like that. What do you, what do you say to them? So again, <laughs> by the way, this is not common, right? Not everybody has a treadmill and a, you know, bike at home, but those people who want to do it all by themselves. I believe structure Success.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. People don't who have don't follow a certain structure do not get the benefit of the program. We know that people who do high intensity exercise benefit more than low intensity exercise. But that doesn't mean that you know if you don't, for whatever reasons don't want to do it through the structured program, you can't do it. You can set up a meeting and do an intake i normally recommend doing an intake and doing a few sessions to get an idea of how much you can do and then you go ahead and do the remaining at home or else you, you tend to do activity and monitor your level of activity by this newer device, but like watch that, check how many steps you can take and, and show that you are con- consistently doing some sort of physical activity. And this has been studied. The most steps you take normally more than 5,000, 6,000, 6,000 steps has shown benefit in patients in terms
0: of exercise and, and shortness of breath yeah that makes sense you you first need the instruction you want to learn how to do it right and then it becomes a part of your life and you also don't injure yourself like myself you know i have a i have exercise equipment at home i used to do it like i want to do it you know no pain no gain principle but then i came across a video instructional video and that made it a part of my life and i'm now injury free and i'm able to exercise so a little you know personal story there So let's take a patient, Tabasas, who has not exercised before. In fact, they're afraid to exercise because they have a fall risk. They're unsteady. Are there solutions for those patients?
1: Yes. So normally, if it is just a fall risk, we tend to send for evaluation by the physical therapy and see if that is solvable or not. If it is not, then there is something called as neuromuscular electrical stimulation. Neuromuscular electrical stimulation is transcutaneous stimulation of the muscle. It is equivalent to exercise. So if you can stimulate the lower extremity, lower limb muscles, they tend to improve in terms of the muscle mass and strength, which is an important part of pulmonary rehabilitation which is exercise of the lower extremity
0: and they have benefit in terms of the pulmonary rehabilitation. Wonderful. You know the other thing the benefit that we may not have spoken about and my patients tell me all the time is when they go to uh, these patients go to pulmonary rehabilitation they form these bonds with the people that they exercise with, right? It's almost like an exercise community, a Facebook group of uh, some sort. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. What, what, what do people tell you? Oh, uh, So,
1: I, you know, in my few years of being the pulmonary director, I have these patients that have been still following up with their old buddies that they have become <laughs> at the same disease. It's like when you have same respiratory disease and you talk about your problem and you share your problem, you tend to get quicker answers and easier. Oh, this is the right thing and I must do it. So I believe when you get people, when in pulmonary have with the same problem and they have the same education and discussion of the problem, it tends to help them and motivate them to exercise. Like you have an exercise body now, you have mm-hmm. a, a same disease friend who has the same problem. And you will be surprised in the clinic they will come sometimes they talk more about their friend who they do exercise (laughs) with rather than about themselves and how they have bonded and what all they do besides exercise outside the
0: rehabilitation yeah that's great that's the story i hear all the time so it's a definite benefit for pulmonary rehabilitation so you touched upon this a little bit but our audience may be interested in knowing how do they preserve the benefits they get from the program. I mean, you get 32 to 36 sessions. That's typically reimbursed by insurance companies. And then after that is out-of-pocket expense. So are there any ways of maintaining those benefits? Can you tell us, our uh, audience, about that? Yes. So
1: once you complete the pulmonary rehabilitation, you normally have a discharge exercise prescription. This exercise prescription is based on the amount of exercise and the activity you were doing at the end of pulmonary rehabilitation. You are enforced or educated to go join local gyms that are there and continue to do the exercise that was suggested. There are maintenance programs which you can join, but again, the cost factor tends to be an issue. So in such situations, I recommend that, all, that you should continue to do exercise in your local centers. Because if you don't exercise, the benefit of the pulmonary rehabilitation tends to wear off within six months to one year.
0: And you are at the same point. Yeah, so it's really important to keep those benefits, maintain yourself after the pulmonary rehabilitation program. Well, that's uh, that's great. I really appreciate your helping our patients with this important knowledge. It was a pleasure having you, Debasis. Thank you, Dr. Hattipoglu. It was my joy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. For more stories and information from the Cleveland Clinic Respiratory Institute, you can follow me on Twitter at TriadwakeMD.